We come to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, beginning in, first, uh, beginning in the first verse. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God has sent to his servants to show them what must soon take place. He sent it by his angel to John, his servant. Blessed be the ones who hear the words of this prophecy and take what is written to heart. And blessed is the one who reads these prophecies aloud. And then he starts uh, going on into verse 4. This is the actual start of the letter. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace to you and peace from the one who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, to make us a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Look, he is coming in the clouds, and all people will see it, even those who pierced him. And all nations will mourn on account of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. I, who is and was and is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, it's quite a summer. Started with earthquakes, continued with droughts and floods, hurricanes, fires, wars. Is it just me or is something going on here? Made me wonder. And I thought this might be as good a time as any to do something we've never done in this church, and that is sort of walk through the book of Revelation together. So over the next ten Sundays or so until early in December, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. But I have to warn you, this is serious stuff. This is extremely significant. John tells us in the first chapter that the message got delivered to him by an angel. Now, if John were, uh, and Jesus were to put it in images that we might understand in, in our day, it would be like the word comes in an attache case handcuffed to an angel with various keys or codes that are required to open it. It's important. It's serious. And what's also interesting is this is the revelation from Jesus Christ. Not, first of all, about Jesus Christ, but from Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, they're all about Jesus. But this is from Jesus. This is important. 
This should be handled with care. I think about some of the things that are really precious in our society and how we uh, try to handle them. And so we put them behind glass or we climatize them, uh, uh, important paintings or the Declaration of Independence. And basically, we try to let people have access, but at the same time restrict the access. Not so with the book of Revelation. It is out there for everyone. But in the same way that one has to be careful with the Declaration of Independence, one must even be more careful with this. This is less a significant document to be preserved and more like explosives that have to be detonated. One has to work carefully and with great seriousness around the book of Revelation. Jesus promises two blessings to those who do it. First of all, there's a blessing on the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, that doesn't mean go home and open your revelation and start reading out loud whether anybody can hear you or not. What it primarily means is that just like the letters of Paul, this letter from uh, Jesus through John will be read in public worship settings, in house churches, if you will, from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea. That's all it means. It's going to be read, and it's going to be read out loud, and it's going to be read where every Christian in the community will be able to hear it. Basically, the book of Revelation is sent to what we might call a postal route or a postal circuit. There's a major road that runs through uh, Asia Minor, and one could say it begins at the Mediterranean more or less with Ephesus and then goes to Smyrna and to Sardis and goes up the coast a bit in Turkey, what we call Turkey today. Um, It's Pergamum and then comes back. Uh, southeast toward Thyatira, Philadelphia, ends up in Laodicea. It's a loop. And mail would often travel along this loop. But what's interesting about this mail is the letters to all seven of the churches are contained in one. So each church gets to hear and read the letters to the other six churches. It is meant to be read aloud and pondered together. You probably remember that old um, cartoon. There's a man who's got his Bible open. A woman comes to him and says, uh, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading the letters of Paul. And she walks off and she says, I've made it a point never to read someone else's mail. Well, this is mail that is to be read. And in fact, the second blessing adds to it. Blessed are those who hear it and take what is written to heart, says Jesus. In other words, they hear and act on what they hear. Now in Hebrew, that concept is one word and you already know it. You already know that word. That word is Shema. It means hear it and do it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those who are going to hear this and who are going to act on it. This is significant. This is Jesus' own words. So here's what I want to do just to set the stage this morning. I'm going to give you what I think are a few hints that are helpful when we approach Revelation together that will help you hear it and so that you can hear it and then you might take what is written to heart. You might do it. The first thing that, um, that you need to know is that uh, this work, Revelation, relies heavily on what we call the Old Testament. There are at least 500 Old Testament allusions in the 22 chapters of Revelation and Most of us probably don't know the Old Testament that well, so there's probably more that we had not even found yet. Uh, Many scholars believe that the book of Revelation was probably delivered from Jesus or uh, or imprinted on John's spirit by Jesus, however you want to say that, in Hebrew. 
because Hebrew was the theological language of Jesus, Aramaic being the daily language, but the theological language of Jesus and also that of John. And so there's probably a lot that's lost when you go from Hebrew to Greek and now we've gone Greek to English. But at the very least, 500 Old Testament allusions. Just this morning in the first eight verses, there are several. Look, he's coming on the clouds. That's Daniel 7, verse 13. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. You know, I always thought that, well, that meant, you know, when they stuck the spear in Jesus' side, you know, they, they pierced him. Or maybe when they put the, the nails uh, right here down the cross. And maybe it does. But it's a direct quote from Zechariah, the 12th chapter, that everyone who pierces will see. And then, go down a little further, uh, the first and the last, that's Isaiah 44, the ruler of kings, uh, a son who was like the firstborn, that comes uh, many places in Psalm 89. It's just full of the Old Testament when you get to Revelation. In fact, Eugene Peterson says this, if you, there are 66 books in the Bible, but he says, if you hadn't read the first 65, you might not want to start with number 66. There's a sense in which the message of Revelation was not just dropped uh, from another planet by Jesus, but it's very much in conjunction and in continuity with the message all the way through the Scriptures. And sometimes people get some very interesting interpretations of Revelation because they are completely removed from the context of the Scripture. They're not in conjunction with the other 65 books in the Bible. And so we'll need to watch that as we go along. Understand a large part of it is Old Testament illusion. Another thing to understand is it's also important to try to figure out what did the first people who sat in that house church, what did they hear when it was read to them? What would they have thought? What would have been the message to them in the first century somewhere between oh, 84 and 90 to 95 um, A.D.? In that time, there's a terrible emperor, his name is Domitian, he calls himself Lord and God, kills anybody who disagrees, especially in Asia. Not so much in Rome, he couldn't get away with it. He claims to be God, they live with him, they know better. But across the sea, the Mediterranean, he is God with a vengeance and will come down on anyone who disagrees. And this time of great persecution, how do they hear and receive this letter? What did it mean, in other words, in the first century we need to figure that out. Let me put it another way. Is it likely Jesus would have given a letter to John for the churches that they couldn't have understood until a book was written in the 1970s or 90s or 2000? Would that make sense, that God would give something that for 20 centuries they wouldn't have a clue as to what it meant? You'll remember in a famous book written about Revelation in the 1970s, he's talking about the locusts, and he said, these are helicopter gunships. Really? I don't think they'd seen many helicopter gunships in Ephesus in the first century. I don't think they'd get that. Now, I'm not saying it can't be. We'll, we'll get there. But I'm saying the first understanding is what would they have heard and seen, and what they would have heard and seen was the Exodus. God sends these locusts upon the Egyptians. That's the big point. It's not whether nations are fighting with advanced technology. It's that God is in the middle of this, and judgment is beginning. So one of the things we're going to try to figure out is what would it have meant to the very first people who would have heard it. Third thing I think it's important, um, not only understand so much of it's from the Old Testament, it has a meaning in the first century, uh, before it has a meaning in the 21st century. 
A third thing is remember that it was read and studied in community. So that uh, people didn't go off by themselves on a desert island so much and try to figure out what Revelation meant. John is on the island of Patmos when he receives it, but he delivers it to a group, to groups of people. So it's good that we study and pray and worship and discuss with uh, one another. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels. He said, where two or three of you are gathered, there he will be. Jesus didn't make that up. That's a rabbinical saying. And it's not about the two of us talk about the fact that Duke finally won a football game yesterday that Jesus is there. Um, But could work. It really first applied to the fact that when two or three gather to study Torah together, God's word, God shows up to help them. That's what they meant. So Jesus knows that whenever we gather around God's word, we do it together, we're going to get some help. God's going to roll in to that conversation. So important, it would be important to remember we do this together. Now, if you'd like to do more than what we're doing on Sunday morning, I'm teaching a class, not on Revelation per se, but just on the whole concept of end times that includes Revelation, Daniel, and, uh, and other uh, writings. And that starts it's this evening at 5 or Tuesday at 10. We can do that together. Final thing is this. In order to really grasp Revelation, you will need to grasp the fact that Jesus is Lord, is the center of everything in the universe, and nothing bad that has happened in my life or in this world has knocked him off that throne. If you don't get that he's still on the throne when all this is happening, then you completely miss the book of Revelation. Bad things are happening. People are dying. Estimates. Scholars debate. Some say only thousands died in this persecution. (laughs) I guess they weren't one of the thousands if they said only. Others say two million Christians and Jews die in this persecution. It's bad. And Revelation is in part written to say, hold on. Don't give up. If you look at the picture on the front cover today, you you get that. Hold on, even though it's bad. And the reason you hold on is not because it's getting better right away. You hold on because even though it's bad, Jesus is still on the throne And he's working things out. Jesus is talked about as the faithful witness. In other words, when he was persecuted, he stayed faithful. And then he's talked about as the firstborn from the dead. When he was killed for who he was, he rose again. And then he's talked about as the ruler of kings on earth. And I think one of the things that Jesus is saying to John in this very first chapter is, here's a motto for you. When things are tough, hang in there like Jesus And one day when you die, even if it's because you've been persecuted, you will rise again. And then because you are faithful, you will join him in ruling and running this whole creation. It's a model for us of what we can join into. And because of that, you want to hold on the first part of the model, stay faithful. There's a pastor, a friend of mine, who said, You know, from time to time I get people in my office and he said the problems they have are so overwhelming and uh, and so difficult. I try to think, what can I offer them? He said, he said, I wish I could offer them this. If I could, while they're sitting in my office, just give them a picture of what's going on in heaven, that Jesus is worshipped and that he's still on the throne. He said, I think they could walk out of there and make him. That's the picture of Revelation, and we'll unfold that picture 
in the weeks ahead.